Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Peer Project Podcast. My name is Chris Duke. I am so excited to bring you episode number one. And it's been a while because I think I, re- I released the trailer at least it was some point in 2021, I know that much. But I'm sure you know what it's like. Anxiety tells you, no, you're not doing a good job, and then you end up not doing something. But I'm here, I'm excited, and I cannot wait to bring you this this podcast. Because one thing that I've learned over the years is that a lot of people don't know or understand that a lot of people are going through the same things as you are. So... I've set it my goal to talk to as many people as possible from many, many, many different walks of life, all about their own mental health journeys. And today, we are starting with an absolute cracker. So today, we have author of the fantastic book, The Monster Under the Bed. Her name is Joellen Naughty, and she is a sex writer. I think that's what she calls herself, a sex writer. Um, but she, in this book in particular, it discusses the link between sex and depression and how depression can affect your own sex life. Now, listen, I will be completely honest with you. I am very, very shy when it comes to talking about this sort of thing. So if you're going to get any entertainment out of this podcast today, it's probably, probably the fact of me trying to navigate this conversation whilst being incredibly shy. But without further ado, let's chat to her, Joe Ellen Naughty, on episode one of the Peer Project Podcast. What I will tell you right away is that um, I am, this is, this is completely out of my comfort zone. Um, okay. So, and by that, I mean, like, I am, because I was just talking to my wife about it there, and I'd, I'd said the same thing to her, like, Obviously, you're a very you're a very sex confident person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sex knowledgeable. Yeah, <laughs> a, a confident yeah. or um, positive, you know, like yeah. that sort of thing. And, and and my wife is as well. I'm not. I am like I am. I don't I don't talk about it. So this is new for me. So I'm, I, this is why I'm I'm excited about about doing this because it gets me out of my comfort zone as well. And you know what, that's true for so many people. It's also, it's, so I just finished my next book and we keep joking that my next book is my first book with all the sex taken out <laughs> because I felt like there was stuff that's helpful to know if you know anyone with depression, but like somebody whose cousin has depression is not going to buy the book with sex in it. Mm-hmm. So we made a separate book that is the not sex book. <laughs> 
So um, to start off, right, so right at the very beginning of your book, you say there's, there's two things that people don't talk about, sex and mental illness. Um, how did you come to that conclusion? Like, how, did it, how did it end up? Because obviously you've made a career out of this now, but how did you come to that, that very simple line that it started off your book? Well, so the sex thing I kind of figured out, that's like how I started how I became a sex writer was I was somebody who didn't talk about sex and ended up in an unhealthy marriage where there was no sex because we didn't talk about it and the whole thing. Then when I wrote my first piece about uh, antidepressants and, and my depression and whatever on my website, I got this big response. It was the first time I knew other people were reading, except it was all private messages and like DMs. And there was nobody like on Twitter being like, yay, let's talk about this. And everybody was saying the same thing. I want to talk about this, but you can't talk about it. And I was like, but there's like 50 of you in my inbox talking about it. We could all talk. So that's kind of how I arrived at that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating to think like I am, um when I was listening to the book today, I initially, I would think to myself, okay, this, this, this probably won't, won't relate to me. But I'll listen to it. You get a bit of background and, you know, for, for, for this chat. But as it went on, I was like, well, hold on a minute. Okay. So yeah, this relates to me here. This relates to me here. This happened when, cause, cause obviously the reason I'm doing this podcast is um, I, I've had my own mental health, mental health journey as well. Um, and yeah, it, and it's, it's just amazing to know that you aren't alone in, yeah. in these feelings. And we're at a point in, in the world now where it is starting to get okay to talk about these certain things. Okay. Sex maybe is a bit more taboo than mental illness because mental, yeah. mental illness is being more accepted, um, nowadays, but, um, so you, you, what what did you do before you were a sex writer? So I kind of bounced around. I had a first career where I lived in New York City and I was a theater director. Okay. And I always say I got out of that because it was nothing like the Muppets, right? Like I <laughs> wanted it to be like, let's have fun and put on a show. And it, it's a bit of a harsher industry than that. Um, and then I spent a couple of years in the two, like early 2000s kicking around being like a yoga and fitness teacher because that's what basic girls did in that time period and then I got divorced and my dad died I had this year where like a whole bunch of things happened all at once and at the end I was like oh I I, I want to change what I'm doing but I have no idea what and that kind of that's what got me there I had this night where I was out with a friend and we were talking about this guy she was seeing and I got up at the end of the night and said I wish I could sit here and talk about sex all night but I have to go figure out what I want to do with my life and it took about 12 hours. It wasn't until the next morning that what I had said clicked. And I was like, oh, I could talk about sex. It's, it's amazing. I, I, like, I, like oh, I've got three girls at home. Like three, well, I've got three young girls. Uh, my eldest is 11 um, and my, my youngest is four. So there's quite, a, quite an age range there. And my, my wife is very open and talking about sex and stuff with with my eldest, which mm-hmm. I don't disagree with. Like I, I, th- yeah. I think it, it's such a positive and, and healthy thing to have. It's just I couldn't do it. Yeah, 
you know, I, I, I will happily just sit back and, and listen. And, you know, because there was one day a few months ago where she'd come back home from school and she spoke about, she was getting she was sex ed at school. And she says, so what happens is the man's penis gets hard and the woman's vagina gets wet. And I'm like, what way you talk to you? You see these things? <laughs> so it's it's new for me, but I am open. I, I am opening up to it and I'm getting more open about it. And listening to your book is, um, is, has made me realize that I, I am I'm, I'm not the only the only person that's um, that's like this. Um, yeah. So going on going on to the book, the monster under the bed, great name as well. Um, Thank you. What made you decide to to actually go ahead and do the research? And because I know you you surveyed thousands of people um, yeah. from I believe two thousand fourteen onwards. Um, but what what made you decide that this was your project? This is the thing that you are going to do with your life. So I. I was like at that beginning part of my career where I was writing about sex, but like a million people were writing about sex. And I, I was trying out different topics to kind of try and find my niche. And I had a like a professional advising phone call with somebody about like you know, ways to make it in the industry and whatever. And she said to me, this, this depression thing, this should be your thing. You should do this. And uh, almost immediately, a friend told me, no, you shouldn't. You're not a doctor. You're not a therapist. You're not qualified to talk about mental illness. And um, so I, because apparently at that time, I did nothing but hire other professionals to advise me on my career. I talked to a different person and he said to me, well, if that's how you feel, do some research, get some numbers, get like, he said, you're going to feel like you don't know what you're talking about, but if you can give people solid numbers, things that other people said to you, like the experiences that other people are having, that will take it beyond, I'm a sex writer and this is my experience with depression into a, here's the experience that other people are having and kind of legitimize the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So that was between bringing on um, Stephen Biggs, who wrote the foreword of the book, mm-hmm. And doing the research, that was basically all my way of getting at this topic as somebody who's not a doctor or a therapist and feeling like I could do it service. Mm-hmm. And so the you went into this this project thinking that you your initial survey was about how antidepressants and depression would decrease your desire for for sex. And so, then, yes, yeah, and then all of a sudden you started getting responses of, well, hold on a wee minute, uh, you know, mine's has actually gone up. Uh, yeah. That must have been a bit of an eye opener for you. It was it. I and when I realized it, I felt so dumb because I looked at my initial survey and there was just no place for that. It was, it was all like, how did your sex drive lessen on the There was no way to say, well, actually mine increased and people started writing things in and that, that really the, the people who responded, I can't thank these people enough. And there's 1400 of them and they're all anonymous. So, you know, I'll never get to, but they shaped, this project in ways I never expected. I thought it was going to be a book where I said, this is how depression kills people's sex lives and you're not alone. Other people have this experience. And they turned it into a book that kind of looks at all the different ways, both 
depression and its treatment, because the, the effects are different, can impact our sex lives and also how we can support our partners and still like each other enough to want to have sex while mm-hmm. depression is part of the equation. So uh, talk to me a bit about, about your journey. Um, earlier on in your book, you mentioned that I believe, uh, forgive me, I, I may have got the numbers mixed up, but I believe you were 16 or you were in your teens, I believe, and you went to the doctor. The doctor tried to diagnose you with uh, depression and you you stormed out. Um, yeah. So talk yeah. talk to me about that and about your, your journey to eventually accepting the diagnosis and, and where you went from there. So looking back, I was always like a, 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 a emotional kid and I'm a very sensitive person. I was always a very sensitive kid and I was a Catholic school kid and I constantly had nuns telling me to like suck it up and, and be stronger and whatever. Um, and when I was in college, I started feeling just exhausted all the time. And I talked to my dad and my dad had uh, something called hypoglycemia. And he said, I, th- I think you might have hypoglycemia. Let's go see a doctor. And they set me up to do the person who I spoke to on the phone, set me up to do the test, which involved fasting and, and all this stuff. And we get there and I'm all fasted and it's like 1130 in the morning and I'm ravenous, but I'm ready to do the test. And the doctor says, we're not going to do that test. I don't see any reason we should do that test. I think you have depression. And so I was hungry and cranky and not ready to be told I was possibly mentally ill. And I was there with both of my parents and my stepfather. And I remember wanting to leave immediately. And I kind of had to wait until he pissed off all of my parents, which he actually didn't. My stepfather still goes to him. It's, it's my stepfather. Like he became my stepfather's doctor after that story. But eventually we all got up and left and we were, we were, there's nothing wrong with my brain and when I look back on like the rest of my time in college good lord could I have benefited from knowing I was depressed because I was the whole time and was it five years it took you five years to to finally accept it yeah in my mid-20s I was living in New York and I got a new therapist and I said to her you know, I'm, I'm struggling with these three things. And she said, well, do these three things. And one of them was go talk to a doctor about how to treat depression. And that was kind of when we first admitted that depression was happening. Mm-hmm. So moving forward, um, you eventually, you eventually met someone and, and you got married and, um, and again, I know that I know from personal experience that depression can man- manifest itself into a marriage and, and cause all sorts of issues. Now, the unique thing that, that you did in your book was um, was uh, almost humanize it because I believe that that you you yourself and your husband um, anything anything that went wrong in your relationship it was your depression's fault. That's that's the impression I got yeah. from from the book. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was um, you know we weren't having sex, but that's just depression. And you know he was getting frustrated with me, and I wasn't going places, but that was depression, and it was. All of it seemed, I always say we treated it like we were living in this like layover on the way to the place where there wasn't depression and everything mm-hmm. would be fine. And it made it really easy to ignore all the problems in the relationship. I, I, I actually, I hear you so much in that as well. Um, so you, you got to a point in your life where 
you felt that you had your depression under control, but things didn't change in your marriage. No, I looked up and I was like, ooh, I, I have desire again. I have interest in sex again, but I don't want to have it with you. And I looked at what our relationship looked like, and it was kind of struggling more than ever, even the sex part notwithstanding, because our relationship was built around the idea of me being a total mess and him being you know, stable and, and whatever. And so there wasn't really a space where it was comfortable for me to be healthy and functional and happy. And um, I remember being really frustrated and thinking, so are we saying that for this to work, I have to be miserable for the rest of life? Cause that seems wrong. And uh, yeah. So that was kind of how my marriage ended. So uh, what was it? Was it quite a difficult conversation to have? Yeah. So, well, so I'm t- in general, I'm terrible at breaking up with people. I stay in relationships way too long. And I think it's incredibly obvious that we should break up. So one day I'm like, well, as you can see, we should break up. And they're like, what do you mean? Everything's totally fine. And (laughs) then I feel so bad. And I don't, you know, we did the whole thing where we went to therapy and we were at therapy and I'm saying, I want to move out. And he said, well, you know, yeah, go stay somewhere else for a week. And we'll have these assignments that you complete during that week. So when we come back together and and I remember realizing at that moment, we were on such different pages because I thought it was very obvious our relationship wasn't working and he thought very differently. So was that the, the, the green light that, that basically switched on with you when you realized that, you know, there is, there is this, this, common link between um sex and mental illness no that didn't happen and in fact me understanding a bunch of this stuff about my marriage none of this happened until like a year and a half later okay i started i started writing about i started my website um in the summer of 2012 and i was writing about sex and i was having depression symptoms and so a doctor put me on a new medication and like a week before that happened, I went on a date with a guy and, you know, we start fooling around and he says to me, I have to tell you, I'm on these antidepressants and they sometimes make it so I can't function sexually. And that's not about you. And it's just, you know, and, and I remember thinking, well, that's so cool. I've never heard anybody be this open about that. So a month later, when I was on a new antidepressant and it was impacting my sexuality, I was like, oh, I should write about this because it was so cool the way that guy talked about it. And that was when all the kind of pieces started to fall into place for me. And when I started talking about it and writing about it and learning about it and all that. How did you, your knowledge about this obviously now is, is completely different to when you, when you first started you might, you mean, you're obviously very knowledgeable about the, the whole situation was it quite a daunting task when, and when you thought to yourself, right, I am going to take this somewhere? Yes. Um, it's, I always say Monster took me five years to write and almost killed me in the process because um, I had no idea what I was doing and I had no idea how much I was about to learn. And it, and it was a lot. And there were so many times where I wanted to quit. And one of the things I did very early on was tell a lot of people I'm writing this book because I knew that if I got scared, I would quit. But if I 
had told all these people I'd be too embarrassed to quit. And so that's, I mean, the whole thing happened because I basically set myself up to be too embarrassed to not finish it. Mm-hmm. I'm very glad in the end, but yeah, it was overwhelming. I, I can imagine. And because you grew up and, and you, you, you've had like depression and mental illness probably, probably all your life. That's, that's not at least yeah. an assumption that most people have. Um, there must've been a, a reasonable amount of times where your brain would tell you, you know, you can't do this. You're, you're in over your head. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I had a friend who immediately told me you can't do this. And mm-hmm. that friend sat me down another time to have a very serious conversation about how I could not do this. And um, around that time, I had a, a thing happen in my professional life where like, I got rejected from a conference and, and told I was not qualified and all of these things. And it was like all of the voices in my head had like come to life. And for there was a solid six months. I had my first survey ready to go in early summer 2014. And I sat on it until November 2014 because I was so scared and I was so convinced that I was not qualified to do this. And um, it was talking to Stephen Biggs, the psychotherapist from Toronto who did the forward to the book. He jumped on a Skype call with me when we had never met. And I said, this is what I want to do, but I'm not qualified to do it. And it's unethical for me to do it. And I shouldn't do it. And he was like, okay, let's back up because this is interesting. And he basically was like, you've gotten this idea from two people and you've made it into what the whole world thinks and the truth. And it's not. And that was a hard thing for me to get my head around. It's even now, Monster has all these lovely reviews and there's like one really bad one and that's the one I could quote for you verbatim because yeah. my my brain holds on to the, the criticisms oh my goodness I I know it I know it so well because I, <laughs> I I've written I've written a book myself but it's a it's a children's book yeah. and um and yeah I've got I've got the the framed picture just over there and the the star rating on Amazon is four and a half stars and it mm-hmm. really bothers me oh Meet. So mine is also four and a half stars and it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. And when we, um, you know, therapy has been online for the last year or whatever, too, I guess. Um, and I remember in 2020 being doing an online therapy session with my therapist and saying, and the book, I, I just don't think it's good. And, and I hear her clicking away and she comes back and she goes, okay, so it's got four and a half stars, Joelle. And like, that's that's not a bad book and I was like damn it's genius that my therapist can look this stuff up and make mm-hmm. these points to me but yes missing that half star drives me crazy I'm with you I'm with you so <laughs> you you sent out these surveys or you, you put these surveys out to the world and you got an astronomical amount back um if you could pinpoint just you know some of the the key things that you learned as you were as you were getting these surveys back and and like what the rest of the world were going through at the same time if you could pinpoint a few of them what would they be well the things people taught me in the in the survey were basically um how much nuance there was to the things i was recognizing right so like i knew people weren't talking to their doctors but i didn't realize in looking at that 
Some of it was doctors refusing to talk. Some of it was patients being too embarrassed to talk. Some of it was nobody even thinking they should talk. And some of it was like, I went to talk and a nurse practitioner yelled at me and I left. And so there was like all these different experiences and it wasn't just universally doctors won't listen or patients won't talk. It was all of the like levels in that. And I learned that people were, um, there was like a wild amount of differences in what people were still, like some people wrote that they were still totally interested in using sex toys, but didn't want to be touched by anyone at all. And other people were like, I don't want to have genitals at all during depression. Like, I just don't want to deal with any of it. It was, it was cool to see the different layers to that experience. It's funny because in the end, there was a huge, like the, the last quarter of the survey was all of these very specific sex related questions that ended up being kind of irrelevant because it wasn't the, the book changed what it was so much, mm-hmm. but yeah, it really, what people taught me was that everything we were talking about was more complicated than I ever thought it was. The one word that pops up quite often in your book is the word shame. Um, yeah. yeah. So people are, are ashamed of their mental illness. People are ashamed to talk about, about sex. Um, how did you find, like, was it challenging to get people to talk? Um, even, even though it was a, a, anonymous and, um, I mean, obviously you're, you're over the shame now, but did you ever yeah. suffer that? So I think by the time I had turned the corner into writing about sex, I was just, I had this whole, like, I'm done being embarrassed by whatever thing. And honestly, when I put the first survey out, I thought I'd get 100 responses, 50 responses. So when we got 1,100 to that first survey, I, I had like I had no capacity to understand that. Mm-hmm. Now, where it got interesting was at the end of the first survey, people could volunteer to be interviewed, and uh, five hundred people volunteered, and I made interview slots for one hundred people because I didn't think I could handle more than that. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I got stood up eighty times. 20 people showed up for their interviews, which is why after that, I changed the way all of my inter- my interviews, I use quoting hands now, because they're more like uh, long form surveys, uh, mm-hmm. like essay question surveys, because I realized that I am also terrible at showing up for things when depression is happening. And I wanted to give people a way to kind of participate in their own time from their computer where they don't actually have to look at me and talk to me. And, and that actually bumped up the responses. That was where I got the other 230 responses was Mm -hmm. from different sets of interviews over the last, wow, eight years. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, 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 it's fantastic. Just, um, the, the, you must have. I I, I don't know if this because I haven't gotten to a certain part of the book yet, but I do know that in certain chapters coming up, which I 
fully intend on uh, on finishing by the way because I, I couldn't I couldn't turn the thing off um you start um talking about how to how to deal with these things and you know yeah. maybe certain techniques or or, or or things that that you could do to to help yourself now without giving anything away because I want people to buy your book um what like how did you come up with these techniques how did you come up with these um solutions if you uh, for lack of a better word so I started flipping into a new depressive episode in 2014, right when I launched everything. And um, I was also in a new relationship. I was about six months into a very exciting relationship. And my partner had no experience with anybody who he knew had a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, how do I not destroy this relationship and and make all the same mistakes I made in my marriage? How do we keep this relationship healthy? And honestly, we set about with all this like trial and error. And I had this wonderful sex positive community where almost everybody also has some form of mental illness. So I would try things and they would work well for us. And I would go to Twitter and be like, hey, has anybody else tried this? And people would either say like, no, I should, or yes, I totally have, or, you know, I think that could go wrong this way. And so it was all very, uh, like grassroots experimentation and stuff I tried in my life and then fact checked with other people. I would call Steven, the psychotherapist and be like, Mm -hmm. is this a thing? Like, is this a legitimate thing I can tell people to do? And he would say, well, yeah, if it makes sense, then yeah. And so that's kind of how, where all that stuff came from. And it evolved again. Like I keep saying that the book changed from being just about sex to being about supporting each other. And, and one of the big things you'll notice in the second half of the book is some of it is about kind of figuring out if you want to have sex and, and if you do how to approach it. And if you don't, how to keep talking about that. So it doesn't become this hot button issue and then some of it addresses a thing that I, again, I did not know about when we started the survey, that people could be on antidepressants and want to engage sexually, but like their medications are causing numbness or, you know, they can't orgasm or whatever. And so that's how we ended up coming up with a bunch of actual like practical workarounds for that stuff too. And so it's a much, the book is a lot the risk of sounding like I'm patting myself on the back. The book is a lot richer than I expected it to be. I expected mm-hmm. it to be a, a bit more, you know, one note, and it ended up addressing all of these different things. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Oh, well, I can't wait to get to the end of this book now. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I genuinely thought, you know, there might have been some techniques and, and, you know, things that you could do mentally. But now that you, the fact that you've described, you know, like, like practical solutions to certain problems, um, yeah. it sounds, uh, it, it sounds amazing. It, 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 yeah. it really does. Forgive me, you might hear some background noise. One of my dogs has just come into the room. Oh. <laughs> yes, I told Twitter that uh, my dog is out in the garage with my stepfather right now because <laughs> this is his dinner time. Ah. And everybody would have been hearing him sing the song of his people as he begged for dinner. <laughs> oh, that's that's um, Well, that's lovely. Um, so I had, having a look on, on your website, I had I had a, a little a little look through the website and there's there's so much more to you and so much more to what you do than just and forgive me for using the term just a sex writer because it, because mm. because you're not there's there's so much going on there that you're you know you're you're helping people you're you're advising people and it's all based on your own um personal experience i suppose my question is how does it feel knowing that that potentially you've probably changed a few a good few people's lives so it's why you asked this today because i had this conversation on twitter this morning apparently i do all of my conversing on twitter but (laughs) um i realized i've been having this thing where i can't recall positive memories i only remember like negative stuff. I said Mm -hmm. to my stepfather the other day, I was like, was I ever a cool kid to have around? Because I only remember childhood memories where I was the worst. And somebody jumped in and they they said, you know, that's a thing. Our brains start, you know, as a trauma response, our brains start kind of sorting things differently and you can't access the good feelings. And and I've been living in that space for a couple of years. So intellectually, I know that people have said, you know, I'm helping them. I can't, I don't feel that in any way. Like it, I know it's good, but my brain doesn't have the ability to latch to good right now. Mm-hmm. Apparently this is a, a thing and, and therapy and stuff can help you sort it out. But um, I, I moved across the country about a year ago and it's taken all of this time to sort out doctors and all that. So I'm very excited to go see someone and deal with that. But for now, 
I have an inkling that my work is helping people and that makes me very happy to the degree that I can feel that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping to one day help people more and be aware of what's going on more. I, uh, I'm, uh, now the reason I'm stuck for words here is because I'm, I'm amazed at how much in common you and I have at the moment, especially because mm-hmm. every, every time you say something, I'm like, I've been through this too. Um, so obviously I've, I've got, I've got my children's book out there and I've same, I've had a few positive messages about, you know, certain aspects of the book and things that it's done. And it's about almost two years ago to the day, it was just after lockdown happened. I received a, a video message from, um, I don't know if you follow WWE, but um, WWE wrestler Kevin yeah. Owens, he, uh, he sent me a video message. Um, saying that uh, a dad had got in contact with him because before lockdown, I used to visit schools and tour tour all over the country doing mental health talks and talking about my journey. And this little girl, this this dad's little girl was eight years old. Um, She was on suicide watch at eight years old. And when I visited the school, she heard my story. She read my book. And she just, something changed in her and her outlook in life just completely flipped. And that dad says that that I saved this little girl's life. Mm-hmm. Kevin Owens sent me that video. And I, you know, the day I got the video, I was, I was over the moon. I was, I was like, oh my goodness, look at this. This is fantastic. Let me put it out in social media. Let me show everybody. I should be more excited I should be more um, uh, happy that that I potentially saved a little girl's life, but I can't accept it. Yeah, I, I just can't. I can't because I'm just me. I'm just some guy sitting in, sitting in his kitchen, you know, talking across the Atlantic. But for some reason, my brain just just can't accept that, and I assume that that must be the same thing for you. That you you're still you're you're just Joellen. That's just who you are. And my brain will start making excuses, like um, people will say, like, "Oh, I wish I had this book years ago." And my brain will go, "See, you didn't write this book fast enough. They needed it years ago, so it's nice that you helped them now. But where were you five years ago?" And mm-hmm. and I know, like, I know enough to start to recognize it but not nearly enough to know how to stop it quite yet Mm -hmm. talk to me a bit about where you are just now then in your in your life and your in your own mental health journey because obviously you've mentioned that you've just moved you've moved across the country and you're still settling into doctors and and trying to find you know the right the right people to talk to and stuff so where are you where where is joellen right now I'm going to warn you, my life sounds really dramatic when I talk about it, but it's, you know, it's, it's calm and whatnot. Um, so I was living in Portland, Oregon for about seven years, and my mental health just got worse and worse and worse there. Um, there's a theory that I never properly mourned the death of my father. Um, and I, uh, Oregon's a beautiful place. Their healthcare access is horrific. And so that was part of it. Um, and, you know, my family was here. My brother is out there, but the rest of my family is here. And uh, I got scared when lockdown hit that I wouldn't see them ever again. Mm-hmm. And so 
before we had vaccines, I took a very unwise, like super secret trip across the country to see my family. And during that trip, I decided I was moving back. And um, so this time last year, I was getting ready to move back. And um, I had movers coming on April 27th. And on March 24th, my mom went to the hospital. And on the 30th, we found out she had stage four pancreatic cancer. And on April 23rd, she died. Oh my God. And yeah, it, it like could not have been any worse timing, like at all, ever. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I was getting ready to move in with my parents. And that was a whole thing I had brokered with my mother. And so I was like, crap, does my stepfather even want me living with him? And so I called him and, uh, and I was doing all this frantic flying across the country to do funerals and then flying back to move. And it was, it was a mess. And I finally said to him, I was like, I, I don't want to assume anything. Can I move in with you? And he said, you moving home is the only reason I haven't taken the dog and moved into the garage. Like I, I can't live here if you don't come here. Oh, and wow. yeah. So the, the initial plan was that I stay here for, you know, a couple of months and figure out where I want to live and, and whatever. And honestly, at this point, I'm taking the last year kind of as a wash. Like the last year was just about surviving and breathing in and out and, and getting through that first year. Um, and somehow I managed to write the book in that time too. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like uh, we were approaching year two and I'm still living in my childhood home. Um, but it's starting to feel like, you know, doctors are coming together and we're getting ready to announce the new book. Um, and so it's starting to feel like things are maybe going to start tiptoeing forward. And that's, mm-hmm. that's exciting. Um, we had to push the new book back by six months because of the pandemic and printers and, and, um, and it's funny because I've noticed, it's given me time to notice that I'm actually feeling a little little tinges of excitement about telling the world about this book and all that stuff. And so I think the story sounds horrible and dramatic, but I think we're on the way to something good. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's that old cliche, isn't it? That everything happens for a reason. Um, Even the shit stuff, but it happens. Um, And you wouldn't be where you are right now if it wasn't for everything that happened in the past, yeah. you know, you could, and, and, and forgive me if I'm speaking out of line here, but you, I mean, you could say in one hand, okay, I've got a failed marriage under my belt, but then you could say on this hand, okay, but I've got this really successful book that is changing people's lives. So it's your journey has taken you to, to exactly where you are. And yeah, that, that must be amazing. Again, <laughs> my brain keeps telling me yeah. um, that, you know, I'm living in my childhood home. I am uh, i haven't achieved big heights professionally. I haven't, I don't feel stable and secure. And my parents both went to their graves worried about me. And, and you know, all of these things are going on the loop constantly. Um, I have some wonderful friends and family and stuff who will jump in occasionally and be like, you've written two books. These are a bit like, I would, I've never done that. You know, you've done these things. It's um, the lens depression shows you the world through is uh, 
a very distorting lens. Mm. And it's, and I start to get self-conscious because I'm like, good God, do I sound like a ridiculous, sad panda, whatever. When I talk about the version of myself, I see through the lens of depression, but it's very real. And uh, yeah, I would like it to go away now. Yeah. Wouldn't we all? Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm jumping about here, but something that, that just came, came into my head and, and I want, I want you to tell the story because um, because you you will tell it a lot better than I would. Um, the the Dexter story and something to do with Dexter that that opened your eyes to depression. That this this completely changed my look on depression. And yeah, you tell the story. I'm I'm setting out this one. You tell it. Okay. Um. So that that depressive episode that I started to fall into in the fall of 2014. Uh, my partner. I was living in Portland. He had moved to Seattle for grad school and he kind of, he was a little out of his depth. And what he decided was the best thing he could do was create like a comforting environment. So I would come to stay for him to stay with him for the weekend. And he would order us the Indian food and, you know, we'd hang out and he said, you know, we have to have a series that we watch because that will, that will be good. It will be a thing we can focus on. And I had never seen Dexter and he put Dexter on. And um, the thing I never expected was to get this whole new way to relate to my depression because the character Dexter talks all the time about his desire to kill people and how it's always in him, but sometimes it's behaving and other times it pops up, but it controls him more than he controls it. And he calls it his dark passenger. And the first time I heard that, I was like, holy shit, that's, that's what it is. That's what it's like having, you know, chronic recurring depression, because you'll be going along in life thinking, you know, this is great. And you'll still be kind of looking over your shoulder thinking, is it, is it back there? Is it coming? When, when's the next time things go to shit? And that it sounds so funny to say that a Showtime series about a serial killer help me understand my relationship with depression, but it totally did. Mm-hmm. How is, um, how's your relationships now? And I, I mean, you don't need to go into personal detail, just how, 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 how are you dealing with your relationships now? So um, I am non-monogamous, which means I, for me, means I have sep- uh, multiple separate relationships mm-hmm. and I have not, in the last decade ever lived within a hundred miles of anybody I've been involved with. So when I told my partner back in Oregon, I have, I have to move back East. I have to be with my family. He was very sad about it, but also he understood. And he had been watching me for the last five years, conduct a relationship with a guy who lived in Memphis, uh, no Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. which was thousands of miles away. And he said, you know, I see how you do that. And it seems to work and you seem happy and he seems happy. And so let's just go ahead with that. And so it's been nice because, you know, I have two boyfriends who love and support me, but in this time period where I don't want to be near anybody, I don't want anybody to touch me. I don't want, you know, this morning time period is awful. Mm-hmm. And so I've had all the space that I've wanted. So right now, that's how that's going. I will say, as I get more curious and I get ready to see doctors and stuff, there's a part of me that's like, oh, 
do I conduct my relationships with everybody living thousands of miles away? Because my brain tells me that I'm too much and they will start to hate me if we're closer to one another. So everything is stable and nice right now, but there's also a lot of self-examination starting to happen as to why I conduct my relationships the way I do and the Mm -hmm. degree to which I keep people kind of an arm's distance away. Wow. Um, what what I what I love about this chat and how it's how it's turned out is that, you know, when when I when my my intention when when I, when I chat to people about their mental health journey is you know you 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 talk about a certain part of their life where it was really 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 bad and then as it goes on you eventually get your shit together and here you are it's great yeah. but that's not how life works yeah. it's not at all. I mean, like I'll give you a, a, a prime example. My my mental health journey. I thought I thought before lockdown that I was I was where I needed to be. You know, at at one point in my life, I was twenty five stone, which I, I don't know if you if you if you work with that currency over yeah. there. So you're talking about yeah about three hundred and fifty pounds. I, I you know I I was embarrassed because I couldn't do the math on it. I know how much a stone is in mm-hmm. measurements. I understand, but I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was I was about three hundred and fifty, um, and then I lost about half of that, so mm-hmm. lost it all. So what would that be? One seven five. Yeah, I was about one seven five, um, and after I lost the weight and my book was doing well, and then you know we were earning uh, quite quite well, and I thought, right, this is it. This is the end of my story. Great, I'm here. I'm happy. Um, now, <laughs> you know, COVID came and. Um, beer came into my life yeah and you know and i put on i put on a whole ton of weight back on and you know the book didn't it ended up stopped doing very well and you know i'm I'm at a stage where um i'm working on some new projects like this and that's the thing when people say life goes on you know okay at one point in my life i did have my shit together i don't know what about it and, 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 yeah, by, and the, by the sounds of things, it's the same for you. Yes. And, you know, like you get panicky as you're like getting older. And because in that time period when, you know, when I was getting divorced and I was, I was working at a gym, I looked amazing. I felt amazing. And I was like, this is it. This is my after to mm-hmm. all of the before. But also my father died in that period. And I remember thinking, just, just keep going. Like the little fish, the finding Nemo mm-hmm. fish that just keeps swimming. Right. Like, because I said, you know, if, if you let depression take you down now, you'll never get back up. And so I just forced my way through because I was finished. I was after. And uh, I think the way my mental health has played out over the last eight years is an indication that that was not a healthy way to deal with things. And uh, so now we're back here and it's wild everybody I talked to lockdown really like rocked their lives. Mm -hmm. I, when lockdown hit, I had been um, working with a doctor for a year and a half who was convinced that what I had was bipolar disorder. So she kept insisting on treating that, except it turns out I don't have bipolar disorder, which is why the treatment didn't work. And also probably part of why I gained 80 pounds in six months during it. So when everybody else was like, oh, we're newly at home and we're just eating and you know, all of this is new and different, I was like, oh, 
welcome aboard. I've been here for a year and a half. <laughs> like grab a blanket. It's cozy. And so it's been, I, I hate to celebrate like this awful collective trauma we've all been through. But for me, I was like, oh, like I'm not alone anymore. I'm not like my, my rock bottom came a little before mm-hmm. COVID hit. And so, yeah. So it was just, if anything, it just kind of extended the experience. Cause mm-hmm. I remember thinking, okay, you know what will turn this, my book coming out, my book coming out, will turn this around. But my book's publication date was March 27th, 2020. No. Yeah. 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 I announced my tour. I announced the dates for my book tour the day that the NBA shut down and Tom Hanks had COVID and canceled mm-hmm. it the next morning. It was, yeah, it was a whole thing. How did that, how did you cope with that? Uh, so I, on one hand, I was kind of relieved because I really was not ready to leave my little cocoon and, and whatnot. On the other hand, I had a, a big mental health dip where I was like, well, why, why am I even trying? Why am I still here? And, um, somewhere in there I did an interview and and people talked about it and my boyfriend said you have to look at Facebook and I never look at Facebook and so I went and I looked and weirdly a mental health uh, a depression treatment was advertised to me on Facebook um it's transcranial magnetic stimulation you go and you sit in a chair and they like zap your head um and weirdly I took the first summer of COVID and had that treatment and I think it was the only thing that like got me snapped me out of it enough that I could see I needed to move Mm -hmm. and that was kind of what got my whole thing going so yeah ups and downs and still but how amazing is it then that you've managed to release basically release a book during a world pandemic and let's not let's not beat around the bush here it's done pretty well again my brain does not believe that but um yeah yeah and um my my i my brain is like look at this other book this book is selling so much better than yours and you know um but there's a little glimmer in the back of my head that knows that the book is doing what it needs to do out in the world and uh yeah and is is very proud of it so just um we'll we'll, we'll start wrapping up um but the the one thing that I get from your book, and this is the one thing that I've always found when it comes to depression and relationships, not even about, about sex, just depression and relationships in general. And it's a, th- it's a thing that my wife and I learned and I um I got I got from your book as well. Is that the 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 main key to this whole thing is communication. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I I I laughed because um I keep a I keep a little printout of a tweet I posted a couple months ago. Again, I don't know why everything happens on Twitter for me, but um, in it I said I have to get successful soon because I'm running out of ways to say for the love of God just fucking talk to each other. But <laughs> so much of it comes down to that communication, and so much of what people will like argue back with me, like you know that doesn't work because this, and they they don't yet see but when i'm done they will see that Mm -hmm. that's just that's still communication failing right like your partner not listening when you're 
trying to communicate is them not engaging in the communication. And, you know, it, yeah. Yeah. I feel like Amazing. if we could all just talk to each other, it would be better. Yeah. yeah. If we could all talk to each other, life would be so much better. I know that. So yeah. let's um, let's do a wee bit of business here. So the book is called uh, Monster Under the Bed, and it's, it's available worldwide, yeah? It is. Um, if you are outside of the U.S. and Canada, I feel like your best place is a site called Book Depository that does free worldwide shipping. Okay. Um, but I also know it keeps popping up. Like, I keep getting messages that somebody bought it in New Zealand and somebody mm-hmm. bought it in Australia. So it's it's out there. And, um, yeah, you can get it. My uh, my personal recommendation is the audio book because then it is it, it, it's you talking to me. It's it you, See, te- you telling the story. The <laughs> Some uh, because I'm not a professional like narrating person. Mm-hmm. Whatever I, I know, there's a name for that, but um, some of the some. Uh, the audiobook causes me a lot of anxiety because I'm like, is it well done? I'm not sure. But what I always come back to is how much I love it when I listen to an audiobook where it's the author reading it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's because yeah, we're getting that, ready to record person. the new book. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, and, and I'm excited because I'm here and I have friends who create things and have recording spaces and whatever. So now I get to just do it with my friends. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, if it, if it if it helps at all, because um, obviously I I've got a background in radio and and that's that was my job before I was an author. Um, the the sound quality, the 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 pace, everything it was perfect. It's a great, honestly, it's a great listen. I can't listen to an audiobook if there's even just the slightest wee bit of just it's not right. But no, yeah. um, I I enjoy it. It's um. It, I could listen. Yeah. I could listen to. It. I've still got two hours of it to listen to, and I can't wait. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, social media. Where can people find you? Uh, I am my full name, Joellen Naughty, uh, on all of the social medias. Uh, well, no, I have to stop saying that because I'm not on TikTok or that. I'm old people. I am on <laughs> Twitter. I'm vaguely on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram, where you get to see cute pictures of my dog. Um. My site is redheadbedhead.com. And uh, from there, you can find all of the things. Uh, if you want more information about my book, redheadbedhead.com slash monster will tell you what you need to know. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, thank you so much for chatting to me. And a massive thank you to Joellen Naughty for appearing on episode one of the Peer Project podcast. Um, what, what a chat, eh? I know I am quite shy when it comes to chatting about these sort of things, but I think I managed to to relax into it a little bit more, don't you? Um, if you want to get in contact with uh, Joellen, you, you can find her on all different social media channels. It's Joellen Naughty. Um, and you can also find her on our website. Get her book. It's called The Monster Under the Bed. It is a great, great book. And it opens your eyes to a lot of different things that, that I didn't even know that, um, that affected me. 
So go and grab the book, find her on social media. You can also find me on uh, all different social media channels. Just look for Duke Writes Books on social media and uh, you can come and find me. Get in contact. Let me know what you thought of episode one of the Peer Project podcast. I'll be back very soon with another special guest. Keep an eye on the socials and I will tell you exactly who that will be very, very soon. But other than that, have a great week. See you soon. Bye. Bye.